This is Camp Life, The Other Side. A bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals. Hosted by Kelly Cook and Natalie Hamilton. Now it's time to explore the other side of summer camp. Welcome back to our podcast, Scamp Life, The Other Side. It's Kelly and Natalie again. And today we're, I know Natalie's excited for this episode. <laughs> Just a little bit. I am. I'm happy about this one. <laughs> so we are, we are talking about one of our favorite things, and that is safety. And, and anyone who knows Natalie or myself knows that we are huge risk and safety nerds. And it might be our favorite training. And we argue over <laughs> who gets to do the training during staff training because we love risk and safety so much. That being said, I'm going to let Natalie do a lot of talking this episode because this is going to be a little horse, horse centric. However, we are going to talk about other specialized activities and specialized activities falling under ACA's categorization of specialized activities. But today's episode is safety restrictions how to have the tough conversations around things like age, weight, and height for programs. So we're going to talk about these, these whys, why, why we have these restrictions. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll talk to you about, or talk about, not talk to you, we're talking to you right now. I hope you hear us. <laughs> we'll talk about how to empower your staff to have these conversations because it's not always going to be the directors who get to have these conversations but we're the ones who have the knowledge in it. And we're usually the ones who decide the why. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Natalie, I'm going to yeah. let you go. So, okay. So the whole reason this whole topic came up, and this is not a new conversation by any means that I have had at least, but it it's a new conversation that I had had with Kelly. And again, we just filed, but that'd be a great podcast topic. So just recently we were hosting a CHA uh, certification out here. Um, for those of you who don't know, CHA is the Certified Horsemanship Association. They are very similar to ACA in the sense of that they provide standards, policies, procedures, um, as well as training, not necessarily training, but it's it, certifications for your horse programs. Um, and they started out as a camp-focused organization, so that's why many camps still utilize them. They are no longer just a camp focus, they are just a horse industry focus, and they really want to promote safety and excellence in horse industries across the world. But it is still very heavily prevalent in camp. Um, so I'm an assistant certifier for them. So we were hosting a clinic at our sorry, a certification out here a few weeks ago. And one of the participants and I got to talking and they were asking about weight limits for their horses and how they struggled to get their director, their supervisor, whoever their higher up were to truly understand why those are important and why they are necessary and why we shouldn't just, you know, brush them off. And the whole reason this whole conversation came up is because she was trying to decrease the weight limit. She needed to make it smaller because they, their weight bearing horse that they had that pretty much anyone can ride had, they had to put him down. Um, he had an injury, they had to put him down. So it very much crippled her herd as far as the amount of horses that they had who can carry larger adults, even larger kids. And so trying to decrease that weight limit and she was running into a lot of struggles with, with conversations again with those superiors of 
why are we doing that? Why it's not a big deal? They can carry it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and again, this is my area of expertise. This is my specialty. So I love talking about it, but it, it's a it's a theme that we see in other activities as well. You know, horses have a, a lot of either age restrictions, height restrictions, weight restrictions on them. But other camp activities do as well. You know, we have them for your ropes course programs. We have them for waterfront programs. A lot of us have it for target sports programs. So it, it's not that it's nothing new. It's it's this mentality of, there, there, one, there's a lack of education um, on, on both parts, on both ends of things. But that lack of education leads to well, we can be lenient with the horses or horses are the draw. Horses are what people are coming to do. So we need to make it happen, whatever, however, and whatever costs necessary to make that happen. But if those same situations were being seen at a ropes course, at our waterfront, most directors, most supervisors, most execs wouldn't think twice about adamantly saying no and sticking to it. <laughs> so that is what we're going to kind of be talking about is, is, again, why are they there in the first place? How can we help these conversations with our staff? But also, I think the other big piece of it is a lot of these conversations, conversations shouldn't be necessarily needed to be had by your frontline staff. I feel like there's a lot more that camps can do, and not just camps, but any of these, you know, theme park attraction type settings where you, whether it's family camp, whether it's uh, outdoor education or a treat group, things like that, any, any group that's coming out, there's a lot more that we can do before they ever get to the activity to help limit those conversations as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> so one, one of the things that we were talking about, Kelly, is, is why? Why do we have these? So, you know, waterfront is kind of your, your forte, and that's where a lot of your knowledge lies. So what, what are some of those common age, weight, height, et cetera, restrictions that we have, it, and why are they important to have in, in a waterfront setting? Well, so the first one I can think of is life jackets. And so mm-hmm. life jackets do have weight limits to them. And if your camp doesn't have adequate life jackets and you require life jackets, you are going to have to figure out, you know, what you're going to do. A lot of times I know for us last year, we had a lot of life jackets for, uh, children and adult sizes. We didn't have the youth or the kid sizes, the really, really small ones. And so we, we really couldn't have our four-year-olds in the lake, or at least our smaller four-year-olds in the lake, because we didn't have a life jacket for them. I've now since purchased life jackets. We've now, we now have a, a wider variety of life jackets than we did last summer. And we did that so that we could have more kids, more adults down there at various times, because we have everyone in a life jacket, regardless of swimmability down there, because it's dark water, but also because where you can swim in our lake is more of a, a thing, a shelf, a shelf, it's that's the word. Shelf. It's, it's <laughs> yes. a shelf. And so there, there's that steep drop-off when you go in to swim in the lake, because the lake isn't our primary area of swimming. We have an inflatable, uh, obstacle course out there. And so they swim in the lake 
for the obstacle course purposes. On the other side of the lake, we have boating and that more slopes in. So that's more open to all age ranges because kids can get in and out of the boat easier on dry land, things like that. But we have an age requirement, not just because of the life jackets on the inflatable end of things. One, because they have to be able to get up and over that shelf that is the ground. But two, (laughs) our four and five-year-olds are not going to be able to pull themselves up onto the obstacle course. So we do have age limits on that. So those are two big ones there. And, and I feel like that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of camp directors, they either have their expertise in ropes or aquatics. That tends to be the two big pockets that most of them have a lot of knowledge in one, if not both of them. Ropes um, is far if- more interesting to me, by the way. I just don't like heights. <laughs> so that's why I got stuck with aquatics. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you have a horse program and it, maybe you only run it seasonally, so you don't have a year round full-time horse, horse person in, in, in place, or you're just not a horse person to begin with and you're in those director level positions, there, there's a big educational gap that comes into play when we start talking about the horses because we have just as many, if not more safety restrictions and things that we should have in play, yet say we're at a family camp situation, Kelly, and a parent came up to you about their, uh, maybe it's a 16 year old, okay? And we don't have a life jacket big enough to fit them. Well, that's a problem, first of all, because we have 16 year old (laughs) campers, so one of them. Yes, yes. But for sake of for sake of, example, for sake of argument, exactly. <laughs> for argument's sakes, they come down. We don't have a life jacket big enough for them. Lifeguard tells them, sorry, I can't swim. And they come at you and they're mad. They're screaming. What, what is your answer going to be? Sorry. Either way, if we sorry, have, if we I have, if we have in nicer jackets, terms, yeah, obviously. Oh, yes, I will be nice about it. <laughs> I will be nice. My customer service voice will come out yes. and I will talk like this because this is my customer yes. service voice and I'm here to help you. But... <laughs> But the reality is you're not going to let them swim in the lake without a life jacket. Correct. Yes, exactly. So similar situation down at the barn, our helmets only come in so many sizes. There are only so many manufacturers that make horse specific, horse specific helmets. And we have all the sizes down here. Now you have that same kid that comes down to the barn and you don't have a helmet that fits them properly. They come up they start yelling and screaming, your answer should be, I'm sorry, you can't ride. But unfortunately, that's not the case. I have been through these situations many a times where I get told or asked, well, why can't they ride? Can they wear a rock climbing helmet instead? Because we have those and my kid just got to do that. And, (laughs) and they wore a rock climbing helmet that fit them just fine and got to go on the rock wall. Why can't they wear that down at the barn? Yep, exactly. And no, they can't. They cannot wear that helmet. Equestrian helmets are rated for those activities. Bike helmets, um, rock climbing helmets, things like that are not appropriate for that activity. But that's just a simple example of one that I know that I have personally come across and I've had to beat the bad guy and say, sorry, no, not going to happen. But again, there's that lack of education, usually on your, the supervisor or the higher director's part because they don't have that horse background. And so that's where if you are in that position where you supervise, whether directly or just 
you know, umbrella oversee any horse program, you need to really one, do your research and rely on your horse staff. And I'm gonna make a comment that might be a, a, a little off-putting to some, but it's true. If you have full-time horse staff or even part-time horse staff and they are not arguing with you about things like this, then they're not good horse staff. <laughs> and I say that with all the love in the world, but unless you have a true horse background, if your staff are not coming back with, well, we can't do this, this is why, if they're not kind of arguing with you, then they're not very good horse staff. Um, but, because I, but, but to be fair, to be fair, I uh-huh. think that's the case with a lot of expertise positions because yes. I mean, I've had aquatics directors before I was, I mean, I actually learned the reason I am so well-versed in aquatics <laughs> is because of a previous aquatics lead that I had who was much more expertise than I am. And I still go to her because she's now an aquatics director. I still go to her yeah. for questions, but she would argue with me and I, uh-huh. I took it as a learning experience, but she clearly knew her stuff and she was a yes. seasonal, she was seasonal. So, mm-hmm. you know, even in that aspect, it's not just horse staff. Yeah. If you're hiring people who are expertise in this area or in any area that has very high safety restrictions, there's a lot of liability in whatever it is. And they are very well versed in it. And you as the supervisor is not your area of expertise. Please make sure they are arguing with you. And if they're yes. not, then you probably have more expertise in them, but make sure that it, that it is true. But if they truly do know this in and out and have been doing this for years, listen mm-hmm. to them. I mean, I've learned a ton from you, but I don't, I don't, I don't question your arguing. <laughs> I just, I just trust that you know what you're talking about. So we don't argue on that aspect. Yes. <laughs> I just trust. I just tell you how it is. Exactly. <laughs> But I also trust you enough to know that I don't need to argue yes. you and, and with you and yes. you know your stuff and whatnot. And that's not to say that you should constantly be arguing. And, you know, th- there's a point between bringing up concerns and working through solutions with him. But just, again, historically, from personal experience, from experience, from other horse staff throughout my years of doing this, and I'm going on 15 years of doing this now, th- the horses is the one area that gets pushed a lot. And a lot of times I have felt that people try to do it because they, they want to stay face. They, they want that customer service aspect to come in, which I completely understand there are ways to go around that, but also safety is safety. And, and a hard thing specifically with the horses is a lot of those restrictions we have are not necessarily hard black and white restrictions. So a ro- we're, we're going to talk about weight now because that's the easiest one to do with this. So a rope course element, your, our harnesses, our rope, our, you know, ATCs, whatever the equipment is, our weight limit is set at a certain amount, correct? Yes, because ropes of weight, also not my expertise. <laughs> not mine either. I definitely know more on the aquatics and the ropes and, but I've learned a lot about rope, but yes, our, our ropes equipment has certain weight load limits, whether they are from the manufacturer of the equipment the, um, the math that figures that all out, or even Mm -hmm. your, your inspection, whoever your, your company is that inspects your rope course, or does the, the construction on the ropes course, things like that, they might give it to you based off their knowledge. And they're the expert because they have all the certifications that I don't have. (laughs) So I listen to them. If they tell me what the weight load limit is, I can ask why that is, or which piece of equipment is causing that. 
But that is the farthest I'm going to ask because then if somebody asks me, I can say, well, the harness is only rated for X number mm-hmm. of pounds because we all know the cables that hold your zip line can, you know, there's always the fun, fun little thing that, oh yeah, they can pull an aircraft carrier. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, in that scenario, say it's 250 pounds. It doesn't it matter if that person, <laughs> oh great. I guess the right number. It doesn't matter if that, that person is six foot five and 250. It doesn't matter if that person is five foot one and 250. 250 is 250 no matter what. And that's where when you get to the horses, that is where the weight comes in, becomes problematic because it is different. Um, and so when we talk about weight with horses, first thing you gotta remember is one, your weight limit needs to be lower than what that horse can actually carry because you have to factor in tack. And that's where a lot of people don't necessarily factor in is most of those, those the saddles that you are using, given you know, you're riding Western because you're at a family camp scenario, we're just going to kind of go with family camp scenario here of trail rides, this, that, and the other, you're in Western saddles. Some of those saddles can weigh 25, 30 pounds plus your pack plus all of the other equipment that you have on there. So your weight limit, yes, might be that horse can carry 250 pounds, but in reality, your weight limit needs to be like 220 to account for the tack. So that is one piece that a lot of people overthink is that that tack definitely adds weight. Now, as far as how much a horse can actually carry, it's even in the horse world, it's a debate. Some people say they should only be able to, only have to carry 10% of their weight. Some say about 20. Most people go with the route of 20% of their of their weight is what a horse can comfortably carry. But that also has that's variable. It depends on their height, it depends on their age, it depends on what other medical conditions they have, whether they're old. Most camp horses are old, have arthritis, <laughs> most camp horses have arthritis. And so all of those factors come into play and in just deciding how much that horse can carry. Now, another problem that I see a lot of camps make is they make their weight limit based off of the one single horse they have that can carry that amount. That's not what you want to do. You need to make your weight limit appropriate for what majority of your herd can carry. And if you cater towards younger kids and pretty much all your horses are older, maybe not as muscled anymore, arthritic, um, you know, smaller because you're dealing or your primary audience of smaller kids, your weight limit might only be 150 for your horses because that's what they can carry. The one draft that you have that can carry 300 is not your weight limit. It's what the majority of your herd can comfortably carry. And then you put that little caveat in there of we have some horses available that can carry more weight. If you are over this weight limit, please reach out to us beforehand so we can we can have a discussion and see if we have an option for you. And you may, and you may not, but your standard is the 150, 200, whatever the case may be. Um, Where the different body types come into play is how the horses carry the weight. So someone who is six foot five and 250 pounds is going to be built very, very differently, carry their center of balance and gravity very, very differently than someone who is five foot one and 250 pounds. The best way that I can explain this to non-horse people is if you're carrying a backpack and you put 50 pounds of books in your backpack and you spread them all out across the bottom so they're nice and evenly spaced and you're walking around, that's fairly easy weight to carry. 
Okay. So a person who is more athletic, taller, yes, if they're taller, you're going to make sure they have a horse tall enough so their toes don't drag the ground, which is a whole nother issue. Um, but <laughs> you want to make sure that they are going to be able to carry their center of gravity and their balance a lot better on a horse than someone who is shorter and also that same size, that same weight. What your horse kind of figures also plays into a little bit with experienced riders versus non-experienced riders. If you take all of those books and shove them all the way over to the left side of that backpack and now try to carry that backpack around with 50 pounds of weight all on the left, it is significantly harder to do. And so when we talk about beginner versus experienced riders, again, it's not a clear black and white Yes, this rider might be 250, 300 pounds, but they know how to ride and they know how to balance themselves and carry themselves on their horse's back. So the horse is distributing their weight evenly, whereas a beginner rider is not going to know that. So you have that five foot one, 250 pound rider who is not proportionately, you know, distributed in their weight, typically rocked forward, putting a heck of a lot of pressure on your horse's shoulders, their withers, one side or the other because they're imbalanced because they're not experienced riders, that is a lot harder for your horse to carry and it is a bigger safety risk for your horse. If your most behavior issues, most aggression issues from horses are not because they want to be angry, they stem from pain. And so if you historically put overweight riders on a horse because, oh, they can carry it, and they hurt and they are hurting and they decide to buck that rider off or throw that rider off because they are in pain. It's not the rider's fault. It's sure not the horse's fault. It's your fault for continuously to putting those types of riders on that horse or putting riders that are overweight on those horses. And so that's why you need to drop your weight limits significantly lower than what most of your horses can truly carry to give you that wiggle room and you can say if we have a horse that you can ride great if not i'm sorry this is our limit we'll do our best to accommodate but this is what our policy is another big thing to think about when it comes to weight is the ability to get on and off of horse safely if you're out on a trail and something happens and you need your riders to dismount in an instant that six foot five athletic 250 pound rider is going to be able to dismount that horse in a much safer fashion than the five foot one, 250 pound rider who struggled to get up in the first place. So again, thinking through those considerations when we're talking about weight, but that's why they often get pushed by four horses so much is because it, it's, it's not a hard black and white. It's we have this policy, but there's a heck of a whole lot of gray area that also goes into it. Same with age. You know, a lot of us have age limitations for our horse programs. It's because we need them to be at a maturity point to understand directions, to understand how to steer, control their horse on their own in the event something happens and they need to be able to stop their horse, dismount, et cetera, in an emergency. That's why your four-year-old can't go out on a trail ride by themselves. I'm sorry. <laughs> you enjoy that soapbox there? <laughs> my, my soapbox for a little bit. And, and, and of course we could, again, talk, there are hours that we can talk about, about matching horses to riders and needing to have different sizes and builds to accommodate different riders. And that's a whole nother topic. And if you want to talk about that, by all means, my information's in the <laughs> bottom of the show notes, reach out to me. I am happy to talk through all of this with you, 
But again, there, there's that big educational piece of, okay, our limit is this. Well, why can't this person ride then if, if they're close to or slightly over? And, and again, we want to try to educate those people who horses are not your primary expertise because there is so many variables that go into making a decision. It's not that clear black and white like it is with ropes or like it often is with aquatics and, and swim stuff. You good? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) For now, I'm good. But but in reality, Natalie does know a lot about this field. And so if you do have questions, please reach out to her. Because I know as as a camp director who has dabbled in horses, but not my expertise, I have already learned a ton just from from asking questions and just being around our equestrian department. Now, we'll, we'll kind of move a little bit in more of like how to have those conversations or at least how to empower your staff to have those conversations. And so I know from taking the lifeguarding course and from taking our ropes course last summer that in both aspects, our instructors really empowered us as, as lifeguards, as rope staff to be the authority in in either of those departments that they are in. So in lifeguarding, they pretty much tell you that if you don't feel comfortable, you know, talking to a patron about the safety of, of waterfront, of the pool, of all that stuff, this is not the job for you. Do not be a lifeguard because of the high risk element that water is. And Mm -hmm. same with, same with ropes because, but they, they, the examples they usually use with ropes are horseplay and, and fooling around and things like that, because that's usually where someone, you know, forgets to clip in correctly or a knot is tied mm-hmm. incorrectly and so forth. There is some empowerment in terms of, you know, not allowing somebody who is over 250 pounds, but that's not the bulk of our conversations. And that's not where the bulk of the authority and the empowerment is given. And I'm assuming that <laughs> you guys do also empower, you know, your instructor instructors to be the authority as well. And I do oh, yeah. know that with archery, it's the same way. And being a range safety officer for riflery and, and BB guns, it's also the same. Gosh, I, I feel like I'm collecting Pokemon cards here with all the certifications <laughs> and, and things that I have yeah. and, and trainings I've been through, but you know, there, there is a, there's a level of empowerment that is mm-hmm. instilled upon those, I'm going to call them instructors because that's kind of what they mm-hmm. are. They're, they're staff who are instructing yeah. in, in different aspects. Is there ever a time when any other staff should be, or may end up in a, a situation where they may have to be, but they're, they're not empowered. They're not the instructor, but they mm-hmm. end up in a situation talking to a customer or family camp parents or where they kind of have to have that conversation and it, that's yeah. not their, that's not their yeah. area of expertise. And how do, oh, yeah. how do we empower our staff to be there? And that, I yeah. think that's the big thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's twofold. So yes, one, you are correct in, in all the CHA certifications that we do, anything CHA preaches, the buck stops with the instructor. So if it's in your arena and you allow, whether you were pressured to or not, if you allowed someone to get on a horse that you did not deem was safe in whatever capacity, if something happens, that falls back on you as the instructor or the trail guide or whoever it is. And so I, I feel it's kind of twofold because, uh, again, the horses is the, the issue that gets pushed a lot. 
what if you have that 17, 18 year old staff and you as that director are going up to them and saying, hey, this person's upset. Hey, this person is mad. We need to get them on a horse. They don't want to lose their job. They, they, they aren't necessarily empowered or comfortable talking to you about it. So they let it slide. They let it happen. And yes, something might, an incident might not have happened, but what if something did? Um, so I think it's twofold of one, directors as a whole, we need to do a better job of one, trusting those specialty staff and also from the get-go before participants even get there, empowering them to, if there is an issue, come talk to us, knowing that we are probably going to side with them. You know, we're not going to let it get to where, oh, you know, the, those horse staff, they just don't want to work hard today, so they're just not going to let it happen. Also, if you wonder why you can't keep horse staff, I can tell you lots of staff that I have talked to have had similar experiences, which is why they leave and they don't want to go back because they don't feel like they are supported at that director supervisory level. So one, that needs to happen beforehand. And then when we get to the actual activity, again, this is where I feel like and this is where we also differ a little bit. I don't feel those staff should have to have those conversations because we need to be doing a better job beforehand of setting those expectations and setting those boundaries for our participants so they don't get to that point. Because I mean, if you're, and again, just from having to do this, family camp, for example, I have trail rides that leave at one point, one of the camps I was working at, I had trail rides leave every half hour. And I had two strings going every half hour, six horses going out, six horses coming back, six horses going out, coming back, staff horse swaps, all of those things. I don't have the time to sit there and talk with a parent for 15 minutes and argue over why they cannot do this activity. And if I don't have the time, why should I allow my 18, 19 year old staff who are on the trail ride to also have to have that conversation? Are there going to be things that come up? Absolutely. But what can we do better as a whole, as a camp? to clearly explain those, those limitations before it even gets to that point. And then we can circle back to the how do we have them in the moment. <laughs> but I think, I think the biggest point there is that making sure directors have the back of the staff. And so yes. I, think, I think having that trust and having that mutual understanding that we're gonna side with, we're gonna take our staff member side because we've trained mm -hmm. them. And if they're saying everything that we stand behind and we've trained them in, we're going to stand behind them. I mean, even if you aren't here one day and our instructors who knowing our instructors, they're, they're going oh, to, they're, they're, they're fine. <laughs> they're going to be fine. But in the event that you were not here and you were on a day off, what is that? <laughs> exactly. Take, take some time off, um, uh -huh. but you're on a day off and I am here. I'm still going to side with our instructors and what they are saying, even though I may not fully understand it myself, but I mm -hmm. trust that they know exactly what the, the limitations and restrictions are to keep everybody horses and people safe. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to still continue as a director, stick with my horse staff. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's important for, for not even just the equestrian directors to side with the equestrian staff, but <laughs> director level, as long as they are doing exactly how they are trained and exactly what they are doing to keep staff and participants and, and equipment, people, horses, animals, mm -hmm. all of the above, everyone is safe. Then I think directors do need to, to really trust their staff and make sure the staff know that they can trust them. Yeah. 
Yep, and I think a lot of it has to do with what kind of written information are participants getting beforehand. Yes, you can't control whether they read it or not, but <laughs> do you have next to every activity this, okay, at ropes course, you must be X tall to be able to do this element. You must be under this amount of weight to do this element. Um, you know, is it spelled out as clearly as possible in a written format for easily for participants to see even before they get there? Then when they get to your camp or your facility, I mean, most all of us do some sort of orientation. Are you reiterating it there at that orientation? Okay, ropes course, if you're going, if you know, you're going to that activity, it's over here, just a reminder, you have to be eight years old, blah, 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 whatever your restrictions are to do that activity. So again, you're, you're gave them written, written information, you were addressing it publicly as an entire group. Um, if they have questions, again, open it up to where they can come talk to you. Do you need to do like, you know, Disney World and Six Flags do at the, the ropes course where you have that green and red stick outside <laughs> the gate of you must be X amount of height? Maybe you do. But again, what, so we have before they get to camp, during camp, when they are approaching that activity, what safety signs, what um, visuals do you have in that area? What rules do you have that, again, clearly explain what the policy is, what those rules are, what those restrictions are? And I feel like that's somewhere where all of us, I say all of us as me right now, as I'm thinking about where people enter the barn and all those things, I don't have enough enough of that up right now. So what can we all do to, again, help limit those, those unpleasant conversations that our younger and experienced staff might be having to address before they even get to that activity? Because the last thing you want is for want someone to tell you no, but also that you have absolutely no reason beforehand as to why it's going to be a no. If you read through and signed the liability agreement that is not, you know, seven point font that actually has things large enough that like you can read the key pieces of it. You know, if you sat through the orientation and were specifically told if you see the sign walking up to that activity area, it should not be out of the blue for anyone. So I think that that is a big piece that all of us can get better at to, again, help our staff not have to have those conversations in the first place. Now, if those conversations have to happen, then that's a different story. <laughs> but I think that's one of the best ways, though, is if you have it posted and, and obviously ahead of time as well. But if you have mm -hmm. it posted, it's at least there for staff to reference as well. I mean, the same goes for when we just put rules up. I like to have the rule boards posted at different activity areas so that, one, the staff can go over them and they're written but also too mm -hmm. when a camper acts out or they decide to you know go against one of the rules it's mm -hmm. clear right there for them to reference so the same goes for safety restrictions as well yeah absolutely and and so in that event that you do have a staff that has to have that unpleasant conversation you know what are some tips that you would tell them you know my my biggest thing is one customer service yes comes to a point you know, you can apologize to them that there was miscommunication. Um, you know, you want to be as pleasant to try to find another option for them. Maybe they can't do that specific activity, but find something else that they can do. Um, I think a big one would be to stay calm 
in that kind mm-hmm. of situation and not to match because if it if it's a parent in my experience the likelihood is that they are going to be elevated whether in mm-hmm. their voice in their their physical interactions and hand mm-hmm. movements and gestures and things like that and so if a staff member can stay calm that's going to at least help the situation out even mm-hmm. if they're saying all these things that you've mentioned about you know apologizing and staying with customer service i've mm-hmm. also learned that don't interrupt them let them let them talk. Yeah. That's easier to say when you're on the phone with someone and they're they're <laughs> they're angry. Yeah. But it, it works too in person and and just letting them talk all of their frustration out before you give them a response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people just need to vent. You know, they're upset in the moment, but once they, they're able to vent it out they feel better or they, they can see some logic and some reason naturally they can come to their own kind of conclusion. Um, and so sometimes it is just being that person that as unfortunate as it is to get yelled and screamed at in that moment, they take a deep breath, you take a deep breath, and then you're able to move forward with the actual constructive conversation. You know, one thing that I always tell a lot of my staff is if they're having an issue, um, one, at least in our area, if you, you typically, if you can relate it back to the health and safety of the animal, people are a lot more receptive to that. They have that compassion for, for that external being a lot more than just saying, oh, I'm sorry, the life jacket doesn't fit. You can't go in the lake. So again, having that animal like compassion factor definitely helps. Um, but also don't feel like they have to take the abuse. And again, I, 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 there's, there's only so much that those frontline staff can do with teaching them when that appropriate moment is to turn it over to a director and say, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, my hands are tied. I'm not able to help you in any further way at this point in time, please go speak to so-and-so or I will radio so-and-so to come over and they can, they can talk to you. And, and so again, kind of putting the onus back on what our job is as the director level is to help diffuse those situations. And again, not, not allowing, allowing them to get to that point for our, our frontline staff. And I think that's where my bigger issue is that I, I don't want my staff to have to get yelled at. I'll get yelled at. I don't mind it, but I don't want them to have to do it. So I would much rather them step in earlier and call me in and have me come deal with it before they had to get yelled at. Someone else had to get yelled at before it came to me. I think that's a good point. All right. So we got to wrap it up a little bit. So even though you could go forever and we could go forever on risk. We could go forever on this topic. Um, And again, especially anything risk management, I find it absolutely fascinating to talk about and to think through. Um, But but I think what it boils down to as well is one, yes, education, have that education for yourself if that's not your area of expertise, you know, stick to what your policies are, but also why are your policies there in the first place? Do you have a true why to those restrictions, limitations, things like that. Not just, oh, well, insurance told us that this is the youngest we can do it, or, oh, insurance told us we can do skydiving, so we're gonna go ahead and go do that. Like, they'll cover us for it. (laughs) No, thanks, I'll be on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Insurance gives us the bare minimums, but what are those extra extra policies that you need to put in play, limitations, restrictions you need 
to put into play and why. Again, educating both yourself and all of your staff on the why is so, so important. That way, because no parent, if they're angry, wants to just hear, oh, well, because insurance won't let us. Like, that's not going to appease anyone. You know, you, you need to give them a more beefy answer of why it's unsafe, why we are not able to accommodate that, and whatever the case may be. So again, really looking at your policies and it, did you just copy and paste them from the camp you were at before? Are they still relevant for you here? Sit down with your team and go through and figure out the what are they, why are they there, what is the true purpose of them being there, and then again, kind of how do you how do you help implement them and make sure your families are aware of them before they even come to your facility. Wonderful. I think that sums up a lot about what we were talking about. I think, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head with policy and, and looking for that why. So if you have questions, you can ask them directly to Natalie if you've got horse questions. Uh, you also uh, mentioned CHA. Are they a good resource too to reach out to if, if people have horse questions? Oh, 100%. Um, they have manuals, they have standards manuals, they have lots of great information and text. Christy and Terry are phenomenal over there if you have actually like individual questions. Um, if you do have a horse program and you are truly looking for more resources and more information, if you go to their, their website, it's just cha.horse. It's the easiest website ever. cha.horse. You can look up for instructors in your area or certifiers in your area, and I'm sure they will be happy to to talk through some of the things that we discuss in those certifications. Um, and also, if you are in that program director, executive director role, and horses is not your forte and you want to physically learn more, look up when a certification is happening. I know a few years ago I was doing one and I had, I can't remember if he was an exec or- Oh, you um, told me program, about him. Exec or program director. I can't remember which one it was, but he was in, in a higher supervisory level position and they only had a seasonal horse program. Um, and he came and he wanted to audit one of the certifications. So not participate necessarily, but you'll sit through all of the classroom conversations that we have, all of the discussions that we have in those certifications. You'll see all of the- the teaching parts and the conversations and the you know feedback that happened through those, I highly suggest you do that if you have a horse program and that is not your forte because you will learn a ton and you'll be surrounded by people who are are experts in that in their own right in that industry. But his his reasoning he gave came to me and told me was the whole reason he wanted to come through an audit is because he wanted to tell if his staff were lying to him or not. Um, like that was his whole sole purpose is he wanted to know, he wanted to be able to call out his horse staff if they were lying to him. So he took it upon himself to further his education, to learn more about that, that industry. And even afterwards, he kind of kept and he's like, okay, so maybe they weren't fitting as much as I thought they were, <laughs> but they were still pulling my chain a little bit. I was like, that's fair. Okay. Yes. So thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, this episode, I'm so glad you hopefully learned something. And so if you have a question for us, we want to hear from you. So reach out to us. Our contact information is in the show notes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, and I believe just about any other streaming source for podcasts. Uh, we are Scamp Life The Other Side. If you're looking for more program type stuff, check out Chris Callow and Kurt Jackson. They are Scamp Life The Programming Side, and they have a ton of great ideas on program and things you can do with your camps and your programs and a lot of cool, fun ideas. So check us out and we will see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>